Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. If you're like me, you spend lots of time pouring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times to hunt will be. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created from military combat intelligence experience tailored for hunters and stands at the nexus of machine learning and white-tailed deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data, historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery, all at my fingertips. I've been using the iOS app this season, and it has replaced all my other mapping tools. Visit SpartanForge.ai and sign up today, or head to your iOS or Android app store. Use the promo code TRUTH to save some money and download it today. Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to tetherednation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things you can actually buy that will help you become a better deer hunter or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This is the reason why I started saddle hunting in the first place and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that Tethered's saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better. Big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation, instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current core setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to tetherednation.com. Welcome to the Truth Understand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Spartan Forge. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 323. Today, I'm joined by Jeremy Aaron of Do-It-Yourself Hunter, and we're talking travel hunts for mature bucks and water access that got Western. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you're doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. If you are regional, hopefully you had a chance to get out to the Great American Outdoor Show and see some of our buddies. Maybe pick up some gear at a uh, at a at a show discounted price. It's always always a cool time of year to kind of get to see everyone. Whenever I was out there the previous weekend, um, get to talk to everybody, kind of run into folks that you see that maybe you chat with online or whatever the uh, um, whatever the case is. But for me, this past weekend. Uh, did get out and do a little scouting. I was actually going to head to the North Peace, but that just didn't come to fruition. There was a little bit of a weirdness um, that I was uh, alerted to um, in that general in that general area. Some nonsense, if you will. And so I figured, you know what? I don't need any additional nonsense in my life, so I'll just stay home. Uh, and I ended up going out and just pulling a bunch of cameras because I had yet to pull any of the cameras 
uh, local to me. So loaded up the pup. He and I went out, uh, did some scouting and pulled cameras. It kind of, it wasn't a long day. I mainly just kind of scouted along the way, you know, took some, um, you know, maybe longer routes into areas where I had cameras to kind of check some, check some areas out. But most of these areas I'm pretty familiar with. I have them, you know, somewhat dialed in. I'll, I'll say this past year though, just wasn't great deer to kind of chase. And so after I pulled all the cameras, came home, you know, flipped through all the camera cards and even still, you know, letting some of those cameras that I didn't even check during the course of the year, let them soak for the whole year. Um, you know, there's just, I think there was maybe one deer that, uh, was borderline shooter, maybe, you know, I, I would say most every other year probably would, would just let him go. Um, and probably would have this year. Um, so, you know, the, the, uh, the theme continues that even, uh, with cameras that I hadn't checked at all, um, and let them soak, uh, there still wasn't really, you know, anything to speak of. Uh, I do have, I think I pulled five or six yesterday. I think I have five or six more, um, that I need to get to pull one in particular that I let kind of hang. Cause I hadn't been in there. Um, actually I didn't even hunt this spot at all this past, this past year, just never made it to it. Uh, but it was a, a spot the year prior that I had a really good encounter with two really good bucks. Um, so I'm kind of interested to, to, to pull that camera and see kind of what was happening there. That there's that one and one other camera that I hadn't, you know, checked out all, all you know, all season. So, um, I'm fingers crossed there's something good there. And then the other ones that I still have the pool, um, I had checked those periodically throughout the season just to kind of see what inventory was kind of happening. There was, you know, the one was where I uh, was near where I had the really good encounter this, um, you know, this October, but that was literally the only good buck, uh, that I had on camera and I, and I, and I managed to see him. So, uh, plans will be probably beginning of March is when I'll probably head to the North piece. I have some obligations here the next couple weekends. Uh, the where I'll be able to get out locally, but I just won't be able to do, um, really, you know, really any traveling. But, uh, with that, we're not going to belabor this up front. We're just going to kind of go ahead and jump into things, man. Um, have a cool show for you guys today. Have Jeremy Aaron on, uh, Jeremy Aaron, uh, is, you know, he kind of started the do it yourself hunter YouTube channel. So Jeremy, you know, years ago actually had a show on the out, outdoor channel. He kind of tells a story a little bit, you know, some family obligations kind of took over. He had to back burner some of this stuff. And then, you know, he kind of kicked it back off again once some of those things kind of, uh, you know, those obligations became less, I guess you would say. And then he had Daniel uh, Lemon come on, which if you guys listened to the podcast a few weeks ago, I had Daniel on to kind of talk uh, to talk to him. And Jeremy's been a travel hunter for decades. This is something that he's been doing for a long, long time. Like he was travel hunting before travel hunting was cool. He was filming before, you know, everybody started filming and filming became, became cool. And really he's at a point in his life where he really just wants to share the things that he's learned and try to help people understand that you don't have to have a lot of money. You don't have to have a lot of gear. You don't have to have a lot of things to go do these travel hunts, you know, you don't have to go far away either, you know? And so he kind of has a strategy as to kind of how he plans his travel hunts and stuff like that to try to minimize the impact. And he built a purpose built, uh, you know, a, a purpose built life. You know, he knew as he got older that he wanted to, um, not be, you know, a slave to the grind, you know, into his fifties, sixties, whatever. And so he kind of set a milestone of like, I want to be out, uh, by the time roughly he was 50. Uh, so he could just hunt as much as he absolutely wanted to and do whatever he wanted to do. And, uh, and he did that. He had a couple businesses that he sold, um, and was able to kind of manifest that, that, uh, life for himself. And it's nothing that anyone listening to this episode or this podcast in general 
you know, couldn't do for themselves if they, if they really wanted to. So, uh, Jeremy's a super cool dude. Um, really enjoyed our conversation and just really kind of, you know, salt of the earth type of person. And I just really enjoy, uh, talking with folks, uh, like Jeremy. So with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into today's show. And as always, thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I have one, a fellow I've wanted to have on for a little while. I had his, uh, his, his counterpart on just a few weeks ago, if you guys remember, uh, if you listen to that podcast, I had Daniel on from uh, the Do It Yourself Hunter. And today I have on Mr. Jeremy Aaron from Do It Yourself Hunter. How's it going, buddy? Pretty good. Pretty good. Good, man. How's, uh, so you're in Mississippi, right? Yep, in North Central Mississippi. Nice. How's, uh, how's Mississippi treating you these days? Oh, I can't complain. Yeah. I can't complain. It's, um, it's like this pretty, uh, pretty state with some good folks here. That's right. It's uh, Mississippi is one of the one of the places that I've never if I, I've never been to. So if you had to give a uh, a northerner some uh, some southern hospitality from Mississippi, where would you suggest I visit? Oh, any any part of the state. That's that's our motto. Is, is you know the hospitality state. Is it really the motto? Yeah, it is. It is. Oh, wow. The hospitality state. You know, because you go down a country road, you know, don't be surprised. Somebody wave at you. You know, it just. <laughs> it just you know, I want to go to different parts of the country, and you you, you see somebody, and you wave, and they just look at you like, I don't know you. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know, that's <laughs> they they they, uh, they wave around here, but they wave a little different, maybe. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we just throw a hand up. We don't just sit there and wave you down. It's just like, hey, hey. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now I grew up. Uh, I grew up in um, uh, like central central Pennsylvania, pretty like super rural area of Pennsylvania down near okay. the down near the Mason Dixon. Um, not far from the Maryland border and also not very far from West Virginia where, where I grew up. And that's kind of how I grew up was, um, you know, I remember when I first moved away, like you'd be driving, you know, whether you were in your, your pickup or, you know, you know, even, you know, if I was helping my grandfather and my stepdad and my uncles, like on the farm or whatever, driving a tractor or whatever, like anyone who passed you, whether you knew them or not, you know, if they had their hand on the steering wheel, they just put up the one finger, you know, just like the index finger, just like give you a little shake, like, Hey, what's going on, buddy? You know, yep. and so I thought that that was just kind of normal. That's how I grew up. So everywhere I'd go, you know, I'd pass a car somewhere. You just kind of give them a little, little wave. And, uh, I moved to, uh, Orlando, uh, cause I was a musician. And that's kind of where I needed to be like for the band that I was playing in and stuff like that. And, uh, and I remember I, I was waving to random people as I was driving and I made a friend when we got there and he's like, man, he's like, why do you wave at everybody? <laughs> And I was just like, I don't know where I'm from. I was like, you just wave at people, you know? Yeah, like, second he, nature. He's like, he was like, man, you know a lot of people. You haven't lived here that long. I was like, I don't know any of those people. And I was like, <laughs> I was like that's just what you do, you know, when you when you have a country upbringing, man. You're just polite to everyone unless they give you a reason not to be. Oh, yeah. Like when you walk in a country store or something, you just say, morning. You know, don't, even if you don't know them, you just, you, you, you greet them. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or good day. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Try to make everyone's day just a little bit better if you can. I think that's kind of the that's approach, right. right? That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. And today, what we're going to try to do is try to make everyone's deer hunting a little bit better, maybe, or uh, yep. maybe tell some hunting hunting stories, man. But before uh, before we kick all that off, I know we just mentioned that you're from you know Mississippi, but you know what do you what do you do for a living, and were you born and raised in, in Mississippi, or did you kind of you know make your way there otherwise? No, no, born and raised. Mm-hmm. My, my mom and dad, and you know, I'm the third generation that lived in the same old town here. Okay. And, and my wife and my wife is too. Uh, basically, I grew up on a you know small little farm, small town of I think we may have two thousand inside the city limits of the town. It's okay. a sawmill town, uh, so it's sort of rural, a little bit of agriculture in the river bottom, but 
you know, we got a big warehouse mill and on the name the, the town of Bruce, the town I live in, was basically named from Bruce Florin. Uh, uh, back in the, you know, I think 1926, they moved in here, you know. So I grew up, you know, around cattle. We farmed a little bit uh, and got in the timber business, you know, at a hardwood sawmill in, in the 90s, you know, basically logged. Uh, at the and crew, you know, I've always been self-employed. Me and my dad worked together. Uh, uh, had a goal to make a living hunting when I was in my 20s. You know, I thought, man, that was that was my dream. And in 2003, we we got a show to the Outdoor Channel. You know, we had to do it self hunter on the Outdoor Channel in 2003. That we was on from January 1st, you know, through the first two quarters through June. But it didn't quite work out. Right. <laughs> was young. Was young. Um, had married and had three small kids at home. Uh, and sort of had to pick between the hunting and the family. And I'm like, well, it's just, it, it ain't worth it. So we backed off. And if I got the girls grown, uh, and I always had a goal of retiring early. You know, even when I was 20 years old, I'm like, I want to retire when I'm 40. You know, I work a whole lot. Uh, so I, I didn't mind busting my tail. Uh, you know, I, I worked seven days a week a lot of times. So. But when I was 40, the girls still in high school. Well, if anybody knows you got the girls, girls are very expensive. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got a, I got a fourteen-year-old myself. So yeah, yeah. So you, so you know. So, but when I hit fifty, my dad died right before I hit fifty. He died in January, and I turned fifty in uh, February. And like I said, I worked with him my whole life, and I seen how he went down his last year too. And the girls pretty much was out of school. You know, two of them are ER nurses, and others got a good job. I like, I'm not going to work the rest of my life. Uh, and when you get them girls out of the house, you like, man, you don't need as much money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, and like I said, I sold a business out when in, in uh, around 2099. And I didn't hunt for like three years. Hmm. You know, as I said, I'm going to make, make a living hunting. I didn't do nothing but, but hunt, you know, in my late 20s. You know, I was very fortunate. And my dad sort of, uh, he, he always, he wasn't a big hunter. Hmm. But yeah, he always knew that was my passion. And, you know. He helped me get going out west. He took me out west when I was 16. Went to Colorado the first time. So I, I turned 56 next month, or this month, mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks. <clears throat> so that's what really got me into hunting. Is uh, I just loved it. Mm-hmm. I, I just went, even when I was high school, I coon hunted a bunch. But then when I got going out west, uh, you know, I got to go to Montana. You know, I think I went way up 13 years in a row. Right. I had a few contacts out there that, that got us going out there. Man, after I got doing it, I like, I love it. But I was driving all past the Midwest. Right. For all them years. I drove right past Kansas and Iowa and all them. Going elk hunting and mule deer hunting and whitetail hunting out there. And that's like Daniel has come in, in you know, like I said, 2003, he was about two years old. Right. year old. <laughs> so, but I knew his dad. Uh, his dad hunted with me back then. Uh, so I sort of took him in here later after I got the girls grown and, you know, this is what I wanted to do. Uh, now, I reinvested back after I sold out that sawmill. I had to start all back over again, uh, knowing I wanted to retire. And I, I basically managed these uh, such assets back in some rental property and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So so now, I'm back at it, and I don't have to make a living at it. It's yeah. just for fun. So it's just a lot different now. And that's why I really encourage other guys to get out and do a lot of this stuff. Because they may not have a dad or somebody that really helped them like, like I had, or, or a lot of them, 
the, the going out west, you know, my dad took me the first time, but the Montana stuff was some of his buddies. I just sort of got tagged along with them. Okay. And I look, I look at, man, if I wouldn't have got to tag along with them, I'd never done all this stuff. Right. So, so, so I, I guess that's why, you know, you see a lot of my shows, I really encourage folks to, hey, if you got a bucket list, something you want to do, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. That's right. Get, you know, get out there and do it, you know. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of the old saying always used to be about at west is, you know, you can't afford it. You can't afford it. Yeah. But the but the saying is the way I've you know, I've heard it from somebody else, I'll quote it, that you're gonna run out of help before you run out of wealth. That's right. So so, yeah. so find a way to do it where you can you know when you're young and in shape, especially out west stuff, the mountain stuff. Yeah. Uh, so that's a little bit about me. Um uh, like I said, I, I just love to hunt. Uh, I love to pass on what I know. Uh, and I and I guess when I you turn fifty, you you know, when you're younger you always think, Well, fifty's over the hill. Right, but, but but when you hit fifty, you get thinking, man, how many folks you know live to be a hundred? Right, you get, yeah. You done, you, you done passed the, over the hill a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> so, right, so, that's a small so, hill, right? <laughs> like that, that's right. So you so you start thinking a lot different then from being aggressive, you know, in business and stuff like that. Is to man, you've done done your work. Uh, you know, the way I looked at it, you know, I didn't want to always keep up with the Joneses, though, saying you know. Is that you know always wanting the biggest and best? But all my buddies that I you know that never interested me. I just I, I love making money in business now. Don't get me wrong, I'm very competitive, uh, and I look at my hunting the same way. Uh, when I go hunting, I'm going to give it 100 percent when I go. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of folks I see and they go and there's a their big group efforts and they go and have a big time. You know, I've got over the last 15 years, I love going by myself. It's interesting. It's interesting you say that because that's that's come up probably the past. This will be the third podcast that that kind of question has come up. Um, I was talking to a buddy of mine, Jace Allen. He did. He's a young. He's a younger guy. Um, uh-huh. And he uh, he travels to hunt a little bit. And this year, he's one of those guys who had a kind of the same kind of you know epiphany. I think maybe you had when you were younger, where he you know was working and he's passionate about the outdoors. He's a heck of a hunter too. Um, uh-huh. And he was just like, you know, I just got to thinking like, this isn't, I want to just, I want to hunt. I want to do my passion and I want to just challenge myself to see if I just gave it everything I had, you know, for one season, just one time, like, what would that look like? So he worked sporadically like throughout the year, but I think he spent, I think he said 97 days in the field, not including like travel time from Uh September through or mid September through, uh, I don't know, I, I, let's say like around January or something like uh-huh. that. And, uh, and you know, it was just him kind of saying like, you know, I want to just kind of go, I just want to kind of go after this. But his thing was, is like he, he, most of the stuff that he did was solo. Like he had a very small period of time where he had a guy with him when he was in Kentucky and he actually, he killed a Boone and Crockett public land uh, buck yeah. in Kentucky. And then, uh, and then he had a, like, I think he said two or three of his buddies, they had planned previously like a mule deer hunt in Nebraska that he was with. But otherwise, out of those 97 days, like probably 80 some plus odd days, he was by himself and he prefers to hunt by himself. And oh, so yeah. I'm just curious, you know, why, why, why do you prefer to hunt by yourself? He gave me his reasons why I kind of preferred as well for the most part, unless I have the right guy to travel with. But I'm curious to see why, why you prefer to kind of go solo. Well, the main thing solo, you can rig your vehicle up where you can stay in it. Uh, you know, I got it where, you know, I went to a Subaru here in the last couple of years. Cause I, can, I can sleep in the back of it, and you're more mobile. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can go to one state. And I've always done this over the years. Is, is I knew when 
before I had a week or two to hunt, I'd, I'd pick a corner of a state because if I tag tagged out, I could jump over to the next state if I could buy a tag on the counter. So, you know, what I really like about being by yourself is how you can move. You know, you're not sitting there waiting on, say, if you and your buddy go to Missouri. Both of you got tagged. You go in one vehicle, save gas. Well, say the first guy tags out first day. Right. He's sitting around waiting on you. And you're sitting there. You can't go nowhere because you're together. So if you know if you really want to get after and hunt multiple states, it's a lot better to 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 go by yourself. Right. But do, and, and and like I said, you make decisions. You ain't got to sit there and wait on somebody else to. To me and Daniel, we went to Wisconsin last year. We went separate vehicles. Cause, and and um, we started out. I hunt rivers. I like hunting from a boat. Well, he's he's got good legs on him. He he can walk his tail off. Well, he got finding sign up in the hills, and you know, like man, I don't really want them hills. But he kept finding sign in the hills, finding sign in the hills. Well, it changed my the way I love to hunt. So I got going up in the hills, and I didn't do any good. And I'm like, heck, I'm about to stay on them rivers. I know how to hunt them. Uh, so that's that's one reason I like to go by myself because I know I I know what I'm good at. Right. I, I I know, and and you can always find rivers in, in, anywhere uh, or in, in bottom. I just, I, that's just my style of hunt. Right. So. And he kind of said, he kind of said something similar to where his was, you know, he said, he, he's like, I feel like whenever there's other people around, he's like, you know, he's also, he's like, as much as I'm trying to kill a buck that I'm after, <clears throat> also trying to, you know, uh, grow my, my skill set. He's like, and I don't know if whenever I'm making decisions, whenever I have other people around, if they're my decisions or if I was influenced by somebody else, just, you know, unintentionally, and maybe I made a decision that I wouldn't otherwise made. And so now I don't have, you know, I can't necessarily, that was my decision hundred percent. I'm not quite sure how to learn from it. He's like, whereas if I'm by myself and I make a decision and it's wrong and I make the mistake, I know it's my mistake and I can, I can backtrack, you know, why the mistake was made and figure out how to not make that mistake again. You know, he was like, so he, that was kind of his, his rationale for it. But yeah, I do agree he, with like the, does, I'm sorry, go ahead. Does he, does he stay in his own vehicle or does he stay in motel rooms? Or yeah, he usually, he... it depends on the place, but a lot of times I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's kind of like truck camping or he'll, you know, depending on the time of year, he'll throw out a tent, you know, in tent camp somewhere okay. Okay. or whatever. Yeah. But yeah and I, okay. I, I similarly kind of take a similar approach. A lot of mine's so, uh, solo. I'll, a buddy of mine, Chad, will go with me, but we're very similar in, in how we hunt. We always take two separate vehicles and one of us can bail and it's, it has happened before where he's killed and he's had to bail. And I was there kind of like the rest of the trip or whatever. Um, yeah. and, uh, but what I did was I actually took a, a small cargo trailer, like a six by 10 cargo trailer. And I put a, I put a bunk in it and then I actually have Wi-Fi in it so I can actually work from it if I have to. So I can extend my trips and solar okay. power. And like, it's like my little mobile, you know, rolling hunting rig essentially. Yeah. The way I, I look at all that, how high gas it got, man, it, it costs you to do all that. You know, pull to that trailer and everything. That's why I went with the car. Right. Uh, I could sleep in it. And uh, uh, the tent, you know, say you get in at night after dark. Yeah. Well, you got all your tent spread and everything. It takes a little while to pack everything up and get ready to go. Man, yeah. if you don't have all that out, you can just don't pick up and head to the next spot or, you know, look for another WMA, another county over or something. Right. Uh, right. That, so, go ahead. No, that, that's just all I'm going to say. Yeah. So I, I was just curious, you know, how many. How many days in a in a season are you spending? Are you spending in the field? Do you think you know? Just I guess on average or approximately. Yeah, well, I'd probably say it's like basically it's been the third year that I really got to go. You know, I basically retired. 
Right. But I didn't have to be home unless it was some kind of family event or something like it. This year, I think it's like probably 60, 65. Right. Uh, you know, that I, cause I've, I was one was one of them was a three week trip. I was going 21 days. Okay. So, but yeah, I try doing that in Turkey season. I usually try spending probably three weeks. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, that 21 day stretch was that out West. No, I went to Wisconsin. I had a North Dakota tag. We hunted Wisconsin, like I said, the year before. I love Wisconsin, but that's what I'm going to kick my tail. It's still <laughs> ground. And I, and I, I like, I'm going back. I, 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 I missed a big deer up there last year. I shot right under him. He was thick, and I, I just shot right under him. I left the camera up there this summer. My wife, me and my wife went back this summer traveling. You know, I left it out all winter. I went back this summer traveling, and we went through there, and I checked that camera. Well, hecky, I had pictures of him at the end of January. So I knew he was still there. So I, it, it just it just eating on me all summer. That, man, I got to get back up there. I got to get back up there to that place. Knowing I already had five tags drawn this year. Wow. I had I I had a Montana tag. I didn't even step with Montana this year. I had a deer nail tag. Oh wow! Because I wanted I because I wanted to go back up there and hunt that deer, and I did. And it it, it kicked my tail again. I was basically spent. I went I went to Wisconsin and I had a North Dakota tag. I went and hunted North Dakota one week. Uh, never hunted it before. Seen some pretty good deer. Just to see what I want to shoot. And I went back to Wisconsin and and I just I just I could get close to that deer. And just couldn't make it happen. So right. I, so. What uh? That, what was, was, that was that three week trip. Okay, what was the deal with that uh with that deer in in Wisconsin? What was the uh, I guess why why did he kick your tail? What was the? <laughs> well, it just I just couldn't. They had more corn in the fields this year. Okay, I think he was staying in the fields. Uh, last year it was most of it was cut except one little old block right in there, and he was cutting across that block. Oh, uh, and you know the where the corn was private, but the the woods was public, and he, you know I caught him coming across it that day. I missed him. And like I said, I left the camera on a trail in there, and he kept coming through it just every once in a while later. So I knew he was still there. Uh, and like I said, I went early. I went the last week of, of October okay. and tried to catch him. You know, so I, I was pretty sure he was still there. And he wasn't just no monster deer, but he was, he was a good deer. You know, I knew last year he was a good deer. It would have been a, a real good one this year. And it just, like I said, it just had some time it happens like it. It just, and that's usually how I do not kill big deer is, I don't want to stay with him. I do a lot better is going in an area blind, find a good sign and sit on it. And just odds are going to come through there with the right weather and the right time of the year. Right. Right. Yeah. I was actually just, I was actually going to ask you that. Cause as I was thinking about, you know, you and I chat, you know, I was, I'm always curious that people like to travel, you know, that, that like to travel to hunt, you know, if they prefer to have a little time in the place or if they kind of prefer to go in blind, like I've grown to, just kind of prefer to go in blind. Now, you know, if I've hunted a place multiple times, you know, or, you know, two different years or whatever, you know, you have a little bit of, you know, base knowledge, but a lot can change within, you know, a year, you know, two years time. But I'm just curious, like, what's your approach? Like if you're going to a place and you've never been there before, just say like North Dakota, for example, you said you'd never, you know, never been there. Like what's your approach to trying to figure out how many days do you, how many days do you kind of, I don't want to say a lot yourself, but like, you know, I know at least in the back of my mind, if I'm going somewhere new, I'm kind of like, all right, I'd really try to like to find deer by this time and then try to start hunting deer by like this well, day. Yeah. And then and you, what I learned, you really need to set yourself limits of days and say, hey, if it don't happen, then get out of there. Right. Uh, don't don't get in a rut and just keep thinking, well, it's been to happen. It's been to happen. Especially when you, you, you're planning for multiple states. You know, like that trip, I, I was planning on going to Montana. 
I was planning on getting on up to Montana. But what I look, was looking for in North Dakota before I got the tag was to hunt the Missouri River. But, man, I got caught in game fishing or something. They're like, man, he actually killed us last year. Deer, you know, white tail rubber down. So I, I had to change places, and, and I, I sort of got to think, well, heck, I just hit the southeast corner of the state then and then and hunt Wisconsin. Because <laughs> I, I thought I could go to Wisconsin within a few days and kill that deer. Right. And, okay. Uh, and, it, and it didn't happen. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then I was going to hit in North Dakota and going to Montana, but it didn't. And I, and I even went back that gum shotgun season back up there back killing that deer and it just didn't happen so uh i, I learned a lesson but i'll probably go back next year there's something about that state i like i don't know what it is yeah so, you know so. so i mean you did five states five states this year right is what, is what you kind of kind of mentioned like how do you well i or you had five tags, I guess I should say. So yeah. you had to do some level, I guess, of planning for, for each of them, knowing that you, you know, had each of those those tags. So how do you how do you kind of sit down and plan out your year knowing that you want to do, you know, a bunch of traveling, you want to get to, you know, different states. There's might be some states you want to get back to again, like that Wisconsin one, because you know there's a deer there you want to try to kill and maybe you want to add something new because you want a new experience. Like how do you go about kind of starting to make your plan for the year? Well, that's why I just put out a video the other day about thinking about how so I like, I look, you know, I've always had a goal on to kill a deer in as many states as I can. Uh, yeah, not the biggest one, just a mature deer. And, and, and like now I'm thinking I go place a turkey and scout for deer. Oh, uh, I know where I can go buy over the counter tag, over the counter tags. So I, I put my draw stuff in first, you know, basically Iowa and Kansas. Or the whitetail, if you want to go there. But I've learned, don't try. You know, one year I had a tag in Indiana, and I had a, and I had a Kansas tag, and I killed a deer in Indiana. I think the six, and man, a good major front come through. Well, heck, I'd been up there a week, so I knew I needed to come back home. So I went to Kansas. I got out in Kansas and <laughs> and couldn't find him, and come back, and I like, dang, I'm gonna go back there, but. I learned don't don't spread it out. If you want to hunt several different states, try keeping them west, or try keeping them central, or, or try keeping them east. Don't don't lose a day or two in travel time in in prime time because you just got so many days in that November prime time to kill them big jokers. Uh, right. And so, so what time frame are you typically kind of well, setting up these well, hunts? Well, I, like I said, I've got as long as you're not in a family event, I can go anytime I want. But, Oh, you know, that's, it took me 30 years to ever get to do that. But uh, November, but say what I found about Wisconsin, their rut kicks in pretty good about Halloween, the last few days of October. So I really got trying to hunt north and then start working back down. Oh, a lot of Kansas and Iowa, that 18th to the 20th has been the magic day. So there's, and see that Indiana seemed like it was more toward the 1st of November. So I sort of found areas, I sort of know when the, the peak of the rut is if you can get the right weather. If you get the right weather in that moon, oh, uh, you know, if you can get, and, you know, I like that full moon and just a few days after it. You know, I like a few days before and full moon and right after it, if it hits in them dates that I've learned when the rut's good right there. Like I said, I think I've, I've hunted 22 states and I've killed animals in 21. So, uh, and I've been doing it, you know, almost 40 years. So I've got a lot of, you know, I kept up with a lot of this stuff. I wrote it down just when I killed deer and stuff like that. But most of the big deer I killed has been that November. The I think I've killed three of them on November 18th. 
you know, one on November 21st. It, so it just seems like it. And most time it's not the first of the rut. It's, it's toward the backside of that rut. Hmm. When they get them big ones on their feet. You know, I don't know if they're just looking for them last few does. And, and most every one of them has been just roaming. You know, they, they, wasn't with, they weren't with those. They were just up roaming after the major fronts. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Right. All right. Yeah. So it's, that's interesting. Like I, I usually, if I'm, it, when I travel, I'm usually, I usually go probably the second week of November, oftentimes like the second and third week. If I'm doing two weeks, I'll go the second and third week uh-huh. um, is usually when, is usually when I go. I know for me, I've had a lot of deer activity around, like, you know, if I'm in Kansas, I know, like, just some buddies that have hunted it, and then just what I had seen, like, the 6th, like, the, that day is just seems to be crazy. Just, I've seen, this year on the 6th, I saw 30 deer that day, mm-hmm. which was just, and I don't even know how many bucks I saw that day. It was just, it was the most deer I've ever seen, you know, not sitting in a food source somewhere, sitting in, a, like, a brushy draw, you know, it was just, uh-huh. it was, yeah. it was bonkers, and, and, and I'll kind of map dates even into like October, at least for local. Like I'll have some prime spots that I know like the first, you know, a big deer will make his first daylight appearance around this three day period, like in this area. And it's just from uh-huh. years of watching it or years of hunting it and just having cameras on scrapes in those areas and stuff like that. And so it sounds like you do a little bit of that date mapping for traveling too. Cause you know, like in certain pockets, like oh, things yeah. are going to heat up that way you can kind of make, oh, yeah. you know, be efficient with your travel and stuff. Right. I do, because basically we start hunting back Arkansas. We've got a place in Arkansas that's good from Thanksgiving to about the 10th of December. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I want to be through with the Midwest then and come back that way. Oh, you know, come back down here in the South. So, yeah, it's, you know, I, I do like keeping up with, with the dates like that. And, and and it's pretty, you know, it, you know, it may vary a little bit from year to year, but generally, you know, on a 10-year average, that rut's going to be about the same yeah. date or uh, and, and, and like I said, and what's funny is how it's so much different. And, I, and one thing I'd say to y'all northern guys, you probably haven't got a hour here in Mississippi is. Our starts in the Delta, and when I say the Delta, is on the Mississippi River uh, around the 1st of December. But in the hill country where I'm at, it's basically the last days of the year to, say, the 15th of January. We our deer basically got shot out years ago, and we they got transplanted in from different parts of the country, and I think that what affects our rut down here is is where they really came from. Right. So I knew I knew Arkansas. Oh, hold on, uh, Alabama. I know has multiple ruts, right? Like the uh-huh. probably like five different ruts. Do you have something similar in Mississippi? Like, we do. We do. You do. We do because I've just got notes on 
you know, you, you, you can learn a lot about a lot of these Facebook groups, you know, in the last few days, I've been seeing guys kill deer in Southern Alabama and Southern Mississippi, you know, they claim he's chasing, you know, they're still riding. So yeah, you can, uh, I, I definitely keep up with the rut dates and stuff in different areas. Right. What? A, so you'd mentioned that you've been to 22 different states and you've filled a tag in 21 of them, if I'm not mistaken. Is there, at this point, are there any states that you haven't been to that you're kind of itching to go to, or have you kind of hit all the states that you, that you have a, an interest in? No, 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 no. There's still, I hadn't, I want to go to Ohio this year. So I'm going okay. to probably venture up there turkey hunt. See, I hadn't hunted Ohio. You know, a lot of guys keep saying, hey, they hit that West Virginia, them, them archery states, or archery counties right in the western yeah. side right there. Oh, I do, like, but I'm a, I'm a flatlander. I, <laughs> I don't really like the dead gum hills, uh, <laughs> but uh, but we don't have them right here. We we got rolling hills, but you know I think that's you know around here our elevation maybe 400 feet. Right, <laughs> is the highest spot. So right. uh, so I, I I grew up hunting river bottoms, so you know flats. That's that's what I'm. I think I'm pretty good at. Uh, but I do like challenging myself every once in a while. So, and, I, and I love in the off season just sit down and you know what time he likes I've been to be fifty six. I don't sleep good at night sometimes. Mm-hmm. But man, I I, I wake up and just sit and look at maps, especially in the off season and just sort of look at areas. And I and I've always loved to travel and I've got my wife. We've been in all fifty states. Uh, so I sort of know what all the terrain looks like in the country. Okay. Uh, when I was traveling, that's what I was looking. I was I was halfway, you know, seeing the country but seeing that you know what type of hunting uh, right. what uh you, you mentioned you know that you prefer to hunt those those river bottoms and stuff like that and i just gotta ask because you know i grew up in a part of pennsylvania where it was all hills you know um and typically when i travel to hunt outside of going to like outside of going to kansas i usually kind of gravitate toward the hills like i've hunted you know all the the hill country in in ohio and stuff like that um uh-huh. and but one thing I always kind of struggle with is, and I know how to hunt it. I had, you know, I can, I can play the wind. I can play the thermals correctly and, you know, and all that stuff. Right. Uh, what I do struggle with is whenever I'm in kind of flat, you know, I was hunting river bottom whenever I was in Missouri, you know, that was, I got on some decent bucks, but just couldn't seal the deal. Um, but just like that, that flat kind of swamp river bottom kind of terrain. Like if there's not, undulation even I'll, I'll be honest with you there's even like a big woods piece here in pa that i hunt that's in that's in north pa that's that's mountain that's mountain area like pretty pretty you know substantial mountains but uh-huh. where the land is it's you're already on top of the mountain so it's it you're, it's a lot of like kind of mountain tops that are just really flat and wide right okay and so mm-hmm. what i kind of struggle with whether it's you know in those mountain top flats or you know hunting a river bottom or hunting a swamp or whatever is just not having any terrain really to speak of that's going to move deer, you know, cause when I'm looking at maps and I do my map study and stuff, it's like, you know, I'm looking for that terrain that's going to push deer around. It becomes a little harder for me when I'm e-scouting, you know, cause I don't see that terrain and I need to focus more on, you know, vegetation, maybe your habitat that creates those, those funnels, those pinches well, and stuff like that. So how do you kind of well, break down those flat areas? Well, one thing, key thing about a flat, watch for elevation change. You treat you, you tree species change on the foot or two of elevation, hmm. you know, because because a lot of times lower it stays wet more, and you you lose your mass crop trees. But you love to have one little ridge that's 
you know, you got to get a map that's, you know, in this, I don't know what the right word to say, you know, it's just like a 10 foot interval instead of a hundred foot interval right. to really show up just a little bit of a high spot. You, you find a lot there. It's just a little bit of difference in elevation. And, and then bucks, you live, I hit that little bit of higher area if it's thick and that's where they're going to rub. That's where they're going to make a straight line and stuff. Uh, that, you know, you, you find the transitions just like you do anything else. Right. Uh, temper, temper change. Uh, uh, but you, you use that water. You know, that's one thing I love about hunting rivers. Most of the time they're natural barriers. They're, they're going right up the side and running parallel with them. Right. You know, I feel, I feel so many deer out of a boat that you shoot him and he falls right there by the river. <laughs> uh, and most and most time you're not hunting. You know, you know, a lot of times I'm hunting within sight of the boat, you know, within a hundred yards of it. Yeah. Yeah. I love, that's one of my favorite things about water access is being able to kind of just slip in real slick, you know, and, and uh -huh. get out. you don't really lay down much ground scent, if any, you know, and keep the area clean. And it's nice because that area stays huntable for multiple hunts, you know, without yeah. really, you know, boogering it up too much. Well, and, and you get away from the crowds. Oh, yeah. I've got a little different philosophy. Most hunters like to fish, but they got a fishing boat. Uh, and it's a bigger fishing boat. Well, a bigger fish boat takes a boat ramp, a bigger boat ramp, and it takes deeper water. So I look for shallower, you know, small, uh, you know, some folks call it thin water, you know, foot, foot and a half deep water right. that I can still navigate up in. And see, that almost eliminates everybody. Right. And most of the time, you, you, you can take a block and may be a mile to walk in. Well, yeah, I can scoot around in my little old boat and get out on the backside of it and get right there on the, right off the bank. How, what percentage of your hunts do you think you use water access versus just walking? Like, I mean, is that yeah. something you seek out even when you're traveling? You're like, hey, I'm going to just look for where I can find, you know, big rivers oh, yeah. or lakes or whatever the case is. Yeah, that's, that's, that's my, that's what I, that's the first thing I look for is navigable water. Because okay. uh, then you run into all type public land, you know. Uh, if you get up any of these rivers that's got locks in them, well, that's poor engineering on them. All the high water marks on the locks. Uh, you find a lake, uh, a core lake in the, you know, there's core, core land there. You know, I hunt a lot of core engineered land. Uh, a lot of states, you know, they lease some of it from their WMAs on it. But that's, that's what I key in on. But, you know, I, I find some areas to walk in too. Uh, I, you know, hunt by yourself, another advantage. I don't need a big block. I'm just, you know, I've killed a lot of deer on 20 acre blocks or less. Uh, you know, it'd be hard to get to little corners. You know, another one of my secrets I hate saying is I, I find that areas you can't hunt on public, that then there's public right next to it you can hunt. So, so where's the big deer at? They they learn the spots you can't hunt. Say like state park or something you can't hunt, but there may be one little old corner on the backside that's public that joins. And I'll, but the only time you can ever come off that sucker though is during a rut. Right. You got it. It's all that's timing. Right. Yeah, I was just going to say that, like, you have to time that time. Right. And as you're talking, if I'm actually thinking of a place that I scouted years ago and have looked on the map multiple times. And every time I look at it, I'm like, man, I want to hunt this. But the only place I want to hunt this is the, uh, the area that's no hunting, you know, and then. And like, <laughs> well, you just, you, you just got to get elected close to that border and, and you got to know how to shoot them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, run on that thing. that's true. You, know, yeah. that's, you, you got to let him, if he comes off, or you got to let him get past you so he's going to run on past you when you hit him. You don't. <laughs> I I killed two good deer from a place that, and luckily I killed both of them, and they fell within fifty yards of the line. Right. Who? That's <laughs> that's cutting your close. A buddy of mine actually, he hunts a lot of urban. He lives in an urban area, and so he uh -huh. hunts a lot of you know, 
small little tracks that might be in between houses and stuff like that. And uh-huh. uh and he he shot a doe the one day and uh it ran into the, someone's yard um that Uh-oh. he was hunting behind <laughs> and and died in their pool. <laughs> he had to walk up to the door and be like, Hey, excuse me, uh yeah, I shot a deer back here, was hunting and uh it uh, it's in your pool now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they weren't yeah. they weren't super stoked uh they weren't real happy with that that visit <laughs> yeah and that's that's one reason i like hunting further west mm-hmm. you know i know y'all's areas um any big metropolitan area you get you got a lot more hunters yeah so the public for the public land is gonna have more hunting pressure you know you, know, you can get out missouri west and get in some areas you never seen nobody oh so, yeah especially get off get back what, uh, like, I know for me, like, you know, I have different kind of feelings about this, but what's your, what's been your favorite place to hunt? Why? Oh, there's no doubt I was the best whitetail. And, you know, it'll take you two to five years for an unrested to draw one. Right. It's, it's, you know, you're going to run into some, I very seldom ever seen an unrested in Iowa public land. You run into some local hunting. Yeah, because because anybody knows anybody about each unit don't but thirty five percent of the an unregistered tag go to archery. It's a lot easier to draw a shotgun tag than it is an archery tag, and that's why there's a high you know, supply and demand. Folks put in for that tag. Right. Do you typically when you go out there? Do you typically go out for a shotgun, or do you usually try to draw an ar- no, no. archery tag? No, no archery because that's during the rut. Yeah. And then their shotgun season is way past the rut. Yeah, uh, and and that's one thing I sort of looked at Ohio. Their gun season comes in later. You you really look at why a lot of big deer come out of some areas is just how their gun season falls. Yeah. Uh, you know Missouri, Missouri's gun season didn't come in that second Saturday of November. If it come in the first of December, like Iowa, man, there'd be just as many big deer come out of Missouri as it does Iowa. But yeah. that gun season, they kill a lot of two and a half year old deer. Yeah, yeah, it's uh. When I was in Missouri, I saw some big deer when I was in Missouri, and I, you're, I think you're 100% right. Like that's, uh, it has all the potential to be just as good as their, as their, <laughs> their border neighbor. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. It's like, you know, depending on you know what state you're in or whatever. You know, when you look at that gun season, just like you know, look at when it falls, it'll tell you what the opportunity is for a lot of the big deer to get killed. That's right, because they got to get age on them to really have. Good horns, you know, to have the mass and the length and everything. So, yeah. So what's uh what's uh what's your plan for this year, man? What's uh what do you have on the docket? I know you've already started kind of planning. So where are you uh where are you thinking ahead? Well, you know, I've hunted a lot of places. I I don't really like hunting the same place over a couple of times unless I really kill a big deer in there. I, I like going to. I really probably key in it. I've got enough points. I think I can draw Iowa this year. Uh, but uh, you know, one thing about doing this show, you get a lot of contacts. You know, yeah. A lot of guys will hit you up. And I got a buddy that's, <laughs> that, 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 that I stopped by and seen him when I cut through in Wisconsin. You know, we got messaging back and forth, and I've got talking to him, and I stopped seeing him. Man, he sent me some big pictures, big pictures of some deer in Illinois, and I'm like, I, I think I'm going to try in Illinois this year. Uh, I know what dates I want to be in Iowa, so like I said, I killed a couple of good deer there on the 18th, so I want to be there a few days before that, so I'm, I 
looking at Illinois maybe the first two weeks of come back down from the first end of the thing. Yeah, we I've won that play for years over and over. So and it sort of know the first approaching get Thanksgiving. Yeah, we three hollers, we know where we can you know mature it. So that's probably my plan. my wife and I've been Hopefully, drive my antelope tag in Wyoming. I'm thinking about going there. I got enough points, I can do a mule deer hunt in Wyoming. I had a buddy call me the other day. He said, "Hey, I found a uh, a guy that'll pack us in ten miles. Will you be interested in going?" I'm like, "I might. I all might." Right. <laughs> I'll say all this all this earlier. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, because that's yeah, a, that's an August hunt, isn't it? Uh, no. It, it's it's a bill rifle hunt. Is for what we're going there. Oh, uh, okay. Gotcha. It's it's, a, it's September fifteenth. It is early. But it's, it'll be high. You know, you basically find them above Terminal Line and hunt them. See, I've done an elk hunt this year. Oh, anybody wants to, ever thought they might want to do an elk hunt? I've done plenty of elk hunts oh, in my 20s and 30s, 20 years ago. I haven't been in 20 years. And I, I had 10 points for for Wyoming. And I, and I, I knew an area I thought I could draw it. For, it was 10 and a 10. And I'm like, I'm going to go in there by myself, film this self it, and kill an elk. I did. I, I made three shows out of it. And I, I did kill an elk. But he about killed me getting that joker out. I won't <laughs> never do that again by myself. <laughs> so how how was uh how was that experience, man? Because being solo out west is just a different is a different feeling. It, it is, you know. The first I got there three or four days early and scouted. You know, I hadn't been right in that exact area. I've been in Idaho, pretty close to it. Oh, so I knew the terrain, and I got there early and, and got scouting. And deer season was going on. I got running with them local deer hunting. And they got man, they there's elk over here, there's elk over here. We've been seeing, so I, I had some leads where to go where I got there. First morning before the season opened, don't know on Saturday. I packed in that night, or that evening, Friday evening, and got up top. All I brought was two tarps. I, I put one under me and I put that tie tarp over me. And my and I brought a sleeping bag and a pad. And I knew it was gonna rain down it they would holler rain that night. I didn't think nothing about it. About middle of the night, it because it come a thunderstorm through. It was lightning. Middle of the night, the dang, my tarp on top just got sagging down on me. I'm like, what is this? I pushed on it and just slid off. And I was like, oh, that's snow. I woke up the next morning at six to eight inches of snow. <laughs> I didn't get wet or nothing. <laughs> I had that experience. And, and it was beautiful. Man, I, I got some footage of some this breathtaking scenery because I got up pretty high. But I, I had something happen to me talking about going solo. When I sort of side him around trying to get where them guys told me where the smell was, I was standing there sitting there glassing on a rock. And I just happened to catch something out of the corner of my eye. I looked about 20 yards from me as a mountain lion. Sort of mm. slipped, took off. And I like, and I looked, my gun was about <laughs> 30 yards from me the other way. And right. I'm like, yeah, gun. But he, he had seen me and just slipped out as I'd done a few cow calls and there and bugle there. And I think he just slipped up there trying to see what it was. Yeah. But it didn't make your hair stand up on the back of your head. So. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing with like some of the places. I was in Idaho. Uh, well, I was in Idaho for the uh, elk opener or elk archery opener uh, uh-huh. this year, and that's the one thing you know about being out there in, in some of those areas of some of those states. You know, is that 
you ain't the only one hunting a lot of times. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You know, so it's, <laughs> yes. it definitely makes you be just a little bit more cautious and check your surroundings just a, a little bit more. You know, where I was at, there's definitely some, you know, mountain lions, and, you know, a small population of grizz and grizzlies. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, it's different. It's just a little different, but it's, it's, you know, if anybody, you know, I basically say, if anybody ever wants to do it, man, do it when you're young if you can. So, yeah. Because them mounts can be tough on you the older you get. Yeah. Yeah. They were, uh, they were pretty rough. Like the one thing, so I was in Northern Idaho this year and, uh, okay. I'd never been in Northern Idaho. The only place I'd really ever been that was close to that was I was in Southwestern Montana down near the Idaho border previously. I've elk hunted down there. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I knew my buddy, a buddy of mine lives, uh, in Northern Idaho. We were in and around the, the Coeur d'Alene area. And, um, mm-hmm. he would kind of, and I have a couple friends who live out there and it kind of explained to me like how thick the timber is and, you know, the terrain's rugged. And I was like, okay, yeah, I've been out West before. I was like, I get it. Yeah. Like, you know, going to be a little tougher and boy, I'll tell you what, man, like that, <laughs> I was like, that was, there's just like the, the steepness of the mountains. Like we climbed some tall mountains when we were in, uh, Southwestern Montana, but I don't think I climbed everything that had that much, like rapid like vertical ascent and then just how thick everything was like you were almost you were almost still hunting elk you know because there wasn't really anywhere you could glass you were just trying to find known bedding areas and trying to slip in and still hunt elk oh yeah that's when you get in over like that you can't get up high and see over in it they're very hard to hunt you know unless they just really beautiful yeah yeah and they and they weren't at that point i mean we were in elk every day we could hear them they might only be 40 yards from us but we can't see them you know Which was yeah. uh, which was nerve wracking and just you know makes you mad because you're like I know they're right there like <laughs> <laughs> I can hear them you know what I mean they're walking around they're kicking rocks they're not being quiet at all you know oh yeah, yeah. but uh so you're uh so you're gonna probably go to Iowa the, Iowa this year right is what you were kind mm-hmm. of uh, kind yeah, of saying yeah. so so whenever you're when you're traveling to these different states and I know you like to kind of go you know you you have some time frames that you kind of target you know in some different areas and stuff. I'm just curious, you know, when you go to some of these different states, do you change, do you change your style at all? Like the way you hunt when you go to these places, do you make any, you know, adaptation because of where you're at? Or do you try to just kind of stay true to the way you always kind of hunt just regardless of where you're at? I, I pretty much try staying true to what I, I know I can hunt. But what's changed is the self-image. Uh, you're, you set up a lot different to get footage. Uh, you know, I used to love to slip hunting, slip hunting, and, uh, you know, shoot them on the ground. Because, you know, to me, you get the wind in your face when you know deer are moving, and you can slip around, and they're a lot easier to kill. But you, it's almost impossible to get footage by yourself doing that. So, right. I, so now it's more of, of getting there and, you know, anywhere I go. It's, you know, it's like I like to scout. I did too. Even, even if I've been there before, scout, make sure. You still got that that community scraping that same spot. If you got a lot, you know, a lot of sign around it, you know. I really like if you can use cameras in them states. Just put a few cameras out to sort of see what what side you're in that spot. So, but I, but I'm not usually hunting a like deer unless unless you I see it. You know, I'm really more hunting big sign, right? So, you know, especially like a big community scrape. You know, and they like to be several bucks coming through it. At, at a given time right yeah that's that's a lot of times my kind of approach too is I, i'm a big scrape hunting guy like i just i love hunting scrapes big community scrapes i'll hunt uh-huh. them as early as like you know middle 15th of october like even you know if i know if i have good data 
on a script. The one place that, that changes for me a little bit is in Kansas because I will hunt. Now, now I'm not filming, you know, every hunt. I'll film when I when I know I'm going to be in a tree. Like if I'm in Pennsylvania or I'm in Ohio, and I know I'm, you know, ninety percent chance I'm probably going to be in a tree. Then I'll take camera stuff along and and, and do some filming. Um, but places like Kansas, I I'll go places specifically where there aren't a lot of trees because guys want to try to get up into a tree. And if there aren't trees, or just I won't run into as many guys as often. Uh-huh. And so in those situations, I'll hunt a lot from the ground to where I'm more doing almost like Western style hunting where I'm more spotting and stalking. Like I'm like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like I'll sit, you know, for the first day I was there this year, I sat pretty much the whole day and just watched. And I had been there the same spot the last year. And so I knew this one other little area that was this, you know, back a little ways, the opposite direction of where I was glassing. Cause I knew kind of what was happening in the area that I was glassing. So I was like, I don't want to fool with that. I just want to watch and see if what happened last year is happening this year. You know, I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to go to this backside and hunt. Cause I know there's a little spot here where the does like to hang out and I can maybe catch one, catch a buck slipping up. And like the does read the script, you know, they walked like 10 yards from me. I was in a ghillie jacket and CRP on the ground. And they, you know, they read the script, but a lot of times in that situation, it's like, I'm hunting either a pinch or the head of a brushy draw or, or something like that, which is for me is way different than way, the way I hunt around Pennsylvania. So a lot of times I'll actually adapt the way I'm hunting based on just basically for Kansas. Most other places I'll hunt very similar to how I hunt in PA. Yeah. Well, mainly, like I said, I hunt river bottoms. You can find, you know, river bottoms even out in western Kansas mm-hmm. with trees on it. Uh, you know, I have a little, you know, I, I got longer aiders on my steps where I can go, you know, get up, up a tree. Uh, but, no, I, I pretty much, because, you know, I found my niche. I can halfway get pretty decent footage from uh, self-image, and, and I, I sort of pretty much do the same thing right. anywhere I go. So I'm curious, man, did you call it slip hunting? Is that what you called it? Uh, yeah, we just call it slip hunting. You just sort of take a few steps, and, you know, you, you, you walk with, you know, try getting where you walk with the wind in your face, you know, and you need them days after in front where you got a little bit of wind, uh, and just sort of slip, because, well, I look at it. If you see a buck first, it's advantage you. You know, if he sees you first, it's advantage him. So right. you're trying to just see him first, uh, especially when you get to these big bottoms, especially in the south. You, if you can get in a big hardwood bottom with big trees, and you can see maybe 100 yards, oh, man, you, you can tear them up in these bottoms doing that because uh, you see him, you can get a tree between you, uh, especially when he's roaming or he's with a doe. Uh, that's a very productive way. You know, Daniel, he killed a couple this year down here. You know, with a gun, he didn't get a lot of footage, but he killed two good deer doing that. Nice, yeah. Ground hunting is one of those things that's uh, it. It's probably one of my favorite ways to hunt right now. I don't get to do a whole lot of it unless I'm traveling, you know, somewhere. <laughs> Usually, just a lot of the places around here are super thick. If I'm on the ground, I can't see, but maybe ten yards, you know, uh-huh. if, if I'm lucky. Um, but it, I'm a glutton for punishment because I keep going back to Kansas, and I'm I'm determined to kill a big deer in Kansas off, off the ground. Past two years, I've, I've been, you know, within 15 yards of two that were, that would have both been my biggest deer that I've ever shot. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, you know, just made some critical mistakes, just some rookie ground hunting mistakes, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. cause on the ground, man, it's, uh, I just feel like it's not very forgiving. You know, you better be playing that wind, right. You better be drawn at the right time because you don't have any of the advantages you have being off the ground. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Man, so you you'd mentioned you know community scrapes and stuff like that, and that like I said, like that's one of my favorite things to kind of key on in on too. But you know, whenever you get to a place and you're going to do you know a scout scouting for like a day or two, you know, even if you have some familiarity with uh you know of the area, 
you know, I want to get a sense of like what type of sign you're looking for. You know, are you looking, you know, some guys are bed guys. Obviously that would be more of like an October kind of, you know, time frame. but you know, what type of things when you're looking for big sign are you keying in on? Like, do you want to see cluster rubs? Is it one big rub? Is it rubs with scrapes? You know, what is, what does that look like for you for a setup? Well, the, the main thing on, on the scrape, I like looking at the licking branch. Uh, you know, a lot of times a bear deer uh, starts snapping them licking branches off. If he's got antlers, you know, from points, he'll snap them on rubs. Uh, rub will tell you a lot, you know, like I always say, uh, a big deer rub a little tree, but a little deer can't do a whole lot to a big tree. Uh, so, and especially when you get out west, these bigger body deer compared to what we got in the south, they rub a lot higher. And, and look how their tines are hitting on up on the tree. You know, if you start seeing one that's rubbing on up and you see tine length is putting marks in the bark, you know, way on up higher, you know, well, he's got, well, he's got some length to it, you know, tine length to it. Savor the sapling six, eight inches behind that, that tree's really rubbing. He's skinning it up pretty good. Well, you know, that deer's got some lean length to it, too. Right. He's sitting on back there. Just things like that I look for. I really like finding a sapling about as big as your thumb or something, and he's just twisted it all up. You know, you know, you know he's got points with some length, and he gets them pointed. He's just sitting there twisting on it and breaking it all to pieces. So that and big tracks. You know, I love seeing a big old track in a scrape. So that's that's a, that's a giveaway. Yeah, that's a that, that that'll get you fired up right there. <laughs> that's right. So you know, it's just a little lot of just common sense. Oh, uh, uh, but hunting the wind. I really, the, some of these big deer I killed is, you know, a lot of folks say, man, I got a good wind today. Well, think about it. If you got a good wind, he don't have a good wind. Right. So I like catching that marginal wind. And we're in a bend or something, say a bend in the river or something, and he's coming. Because he can't walk with that wind in his face all day. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, when he's up traveling. He, it, he, yeah. Man, you're you're speaking all kinds of truth with that. My buddy and I, my buddy Greg and I joke about that all the time. Because, you know, we predominantly around here get south, southwest, west winds, you know. And we always joke, it's like, man, if deer only ever walked with the wind in their face, you know, during hunting season, all of our deer would end up in California. You, right. know, you know what I mean? Because like, they can't possibly walk with the wind in their face all the time. So, yeah, I think that for me was like one of the biggest things, you know, in, in, in having more encounters and better encounters, and getting, you know, getting arrows and deer was just, you know, you got to be a little risky sometimes. Like you got to play that off wind where you might be giving it up a little bit if you didn't, if your calculus isn't right on your setup you might be hurting yourself, you know, but if it's right, man, it's going to be super right. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But like I said, it, it's got to be where he's still got a pretty good wind and then your wind's blowing right beside him. You know, I had a, probably the biggest deer I've ever seen in Iowa. I don't know how long, two or three, four years ago now. I had video. I done some rattling. I had a little buck come in and he circled around behind me and he busted me in a spot and I sat there and filmed it. And, and it wasn't 15 minutes later, this big deer come and he wasn't. 20 yards further up. He just barely missed my wind. And he come right on up through there and skirted. And I like, he thought he, and he did have a good wind. Uh, you know, but he come, and he, he just barely missed my, my scent. I was blowing there. And I, and I learned something. Man, I was like, man, that, because think about it. A big deer, when he's getting up, especially not after a doe, he, he knows where he's going. When he gets up, he's, he's going to scrape. He's going to check this bed in there, see if he does huh? But I guarantee that wind in his mind is where he's going. You know, he's like, he, he gets up and that wind says, I've a north. He's like, you know, I, I, here's how I think. I just think, well, okay, I'm going to go check these bedding areas over here to the north here. But I got a good wind because he learned that's his defense. That's what keeps him safe is that wind. Um, you know, his nose. So, so I really, and like I said, 
and, and Daniel, you talking about Daniel, we've, like I said, I've got him hunting by himself. Because I just think it's way more productive to hunt by yourself. But we all, we always talk and analyze. Uh, uh, you know, like that, we call, talk to each other every night in different states. What happened, what type of wind, what the deer do. Uh, uh, and and a lot of our scouting, like you talking about, we may scout a day or two. <laughs> Say if I'm sitting here at the house. A lot of times I sit and wait on the front instead of knowing I can go. I could go into Wisconsin and hunt, but they got to say 70 degree weather. But in three days, they got a front coming. I'll try to get there a day before that front and do my scout. You know, check my spots that I, that I knew had good sign last year. So, so when that front comes through, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to be in a tree. Right. Oh. Now, now, do you hunt the front or do you hunt the back side of the front? Well, I like behind it. I like okay. it. Uh, but when me and Dana was talking a couple nights ago. He killed three different deer this year when the front was coming through, right? When it changed and the wind shifted and the wind was blowing hard. But he, we got thinking and got talking. All three of them deer he killed was close to bed. So they, they didn't, wasn't up moving far, but they was up on their feet. So he was, he was in pretty close to them. You know, the deer I killed, I killed a couple of them this year. It was on the second day behind the front. You know, I tell that barometric pressure coming up a little bit. It's clear. But the deer I killed was wrong. You know, they was coming through on trails. They was they was traveling when they come through. Right. Yeah, I'm well, thinking. I think one of them for Daniel was it was a Kansas deer in the that on the in the front, right? Because yeah, that was like yep. as like the wind kind of switched. And then where yep. so yours that was on the back side, like where were the where what states were those in? <clears throat> well, one of them was out west. I'm not gonna say the state on it because it's not much public land. Another was in Arkansas. Okay. And like I said it was right on the back. You know, it was after the front had come through. Hmm. Uh, I seem like I like it when that you got that constant wind, not 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 just that gusty wind. You know, seem like right when that front comes through, you got that 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 you know, the ice bars are close together, and that that wind's just howling because yeah. uh, you got so much difference in the pressure right there. But then after a few days, it sort of settles down. And you sort of got that constant. You know, most places we hunt is north and northwest. Right. Well, I know you, you said y'all's in more of a western because y'all a lot further east than we are. Mm-hmm. But but I but it seems like. When you kill them big deer, it's that, I don't know, seven to 10 mile an hour. Right. They've got a constant winds, so they know they're up walking with a, it's not whirling on them because you get a, you get a sort of constant like that. It's sort of steady. Right. It's a steady flowing to them. Yeah. Yeah. That constant wind. So you can, I mean, that, that's, that, all, that feels like the, the right wind too, just for uh, predictability as well. Right. It's uh-huh. like you get lower than that. You start to get that little bit of variable in it where, Sometimes if you're safe, then all of a sudden you're you're not. But that's right. They turn blow the other way. You know, you get, might get a gust in there, like you said, and it'll it'll start bouncing off stuff, start whirling, and then you get that constant. And it's fine, and then it slows down. It starts like it goes the other way. You just sort of get that. You know. Now with the wind, do you is there a wind that you particularly like? Because I know some guys, you know, love an east wind because it's a very kind of um, random wind if you will, like you don't get a lot of just straight East winds and sometimes it'll kind of throw the deer out of sorts for like a little well, while, what they got to kind of recalibrate. Is there, is, do you, do you like to plenty play anything like that? Well, see, see our, our East wind here in the South means we've got a front coming and it's sucking that wind from the, from the East and say it's our, our Southeast wind. So it's always in front of a front down here okay. and that's usually not good. Right. So you, so it, it depends on more of your area. Um, uh, like I said, it, I see in y'all's area, it makes that. But like I said, that that varies in different parts of the country, though. 
Right. Uh, it was weird. I really like after that front comes through because that's just. I got a factor of what I look for for killing mature deer. I got three factors, and I rank them. It's one, two, and three. Uh, one is 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 weather. You know, you know, if you got a front coming. Two is a moon phase. You know, you major and minor. And three is the rut. So I look at it. Say in November, you know the rut's going on in the Midwest. So you got one. You get a major front comes through. There's two. Well, that move time, like I say about the full moon. Man, if you can get that full moon, because a full moon, you got a minor in the morning, you got a major in the middle of the day, you got a minor in the evening on a full and a new moon. Before and after that, you just got two. You got a minor and a major. You know, it, it varies because, like I said, the moon's, yeah, what's it, on like 25, five-hour cycle or 24, so it, it's like 50 minutes later that time of year every, every day. So I, I play them three things, uh, and I do a lot of that on the scout. You know, save the days. The scene is going to hit the major. The major time is when the moon's straight up or straight down, and it's it's going to hit from like that three to five o'clock. And you you already got a front coming through. You know it's done been through. I might do my scouting in the morning and make sure I'm in that stand in the evening. Right. So. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm curious. You know, there's a couple of my buddies that I've talked to that, you know, one of them he hunts religiously by the moon. I mean, that's like when he looks back on like his wall. He can go back to the dates and go, yep, red moon, red moon, red moon. Like, it's almost all of them, right? So I'm curious for you, how many days or how many deer or what percentage of the deer do you think you've, you've killed during that particular moon phase? Well, see, I don't really call it the red moon like a lot of them. What's red moon? Right after something? It was a certain time of the month. Yeah, well, it's like there's a handful of them that happens. Like it'll either line up with the morning or it'll line up with the. Evening. I think it's very similar to like the major and the minor, but the, I'm not real. Um, I'm well, not real yeah. firm on the on the moon stuff. Okay, well, because here's how I look at it. You know, you got all different type move and feeding charts. To me, they all vary off of the position the moon's in the, in the sky. Not if it's quarter, if it's half, or if it's full. It's 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 you know like when it comes up in the morning, like sun's rising, that's a minor. And when it's setting, it's, it's a minor. But when it's straight overhead and when it's straight down, it's a major. It's pretty simple. So you can look at you know, the moon chart and just what position it's in in the sky, and you you rank it on that. But we've we've seen where we kill a lot more bigger deer on the full moon than we do the new moon. Even even if they just say just say November tenth, it's prime time in Kansas. Say that date. Mm-hmm. But this year, but this year the new moon's gonna fall on the tenth. I would rather for it to be a full moon on the tenth. Oh. So, you know, a lot of times I look at that in advance. You know, I go, like now when I'm starting to plan my stuff, I sort of look when the full moon's going to be. Because hmm. it will affect that. I don't think it affects the 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 rut itself, actually. I just think it affects the deer movement during the daytime. I think they do more of it at night. Does that make sense? Yep. So, yeah. So, so uh, you yeah. know, I, that that doe law still come in that same date. Right. But you just won't, you just won't see them. You know, I've heard a philosophy before that some guys say, that there, that big buck may not move, but uh, say fifty or hundred yards from his bed there, mm-hmm. or instead of a half a mile from his bed there. Because look how much chance you got to kill him if he gives he's moved a half a mile compared to a couple hundred yards, you know, or fifty yards. Yeah, it's the difference between you know setting up in his outside of his bedroom or a staging area or whatever the case uh-huh. is. If you have a if you have a sense of how much more he's going to move, you know, and yeah. it gives you better op- options with playing the wind too. Well, 
you know? Yep. So, yep. so man, I want to, I want to shift gears here real quick. And I, and I want to talk about the situation that you had, you know, <laughs> earlier this, uh, this fall here, um, with your boats. I know we've talked a little bit about water access, man, but you had, you had quite a scary, you know, situation that I, I think when I spoke with Daniel, I think that that had just, had just happened. Cause I think he and I had scheduled to, to talk and then we yeah. ended up moving the date cause he was coming to help you grab your boat. And then whenever we actually finally had a chance to talk, he was like, yeah, you kind of explained what had happened. And then I watched, I watched the videos. So, you know, what all, what all went down with that? Well, you know, y'all probably don't get this much rain like we do here in the South. So I'm, I'm used to it. You know, we had a five inch rain, had one of them fronts come through, uh, you know, super warm in front of it. Well, most time in December, we get super warm weather and there's a major cold front behind it. We got a drastic change. It's probably going to rain all day one day. Well, I went and scouted this place because I knew the dates. You know, I was hunting the rut, my rut dates there. You know, Daniel killed a good deer there. Well, that them dates the year before and two years before, I'd missed a big deer in there on, on them dates. So I knew the rut was going to be going on. Well, I went into a place and scouted. I went in on a Tuesday and scouted. Knew the front was coming Wednesday. Well, Thursday, I wanted to be, you know, in a tree in that area where we'd kill two bucks. Because I knew the weather was going to be perfect, the rut, and I knew the move time. Well, I got up that morning, <laughs> and I knew it rained, and I knew the river was going to be up. But man, I've been on the Mississippi. All right, folks. Sorry about that. We're we're back. Little technical difficulty. So <laughs> Jeremy was talking about the rain that they got and the storm that they got, and uh, ironically, he ha- he's having that now. So he had a little <laughs> a little phone issue. But man, I think uh, where I lost you was you had mentioned that you, you had got a full day of rain and you. You know, that wasn't something that was unfamiliar, you know, familiar to you. You knew the river was up, but that was, you know, you were used to that type of thing. That's right. And like I said, it, it, when I got got to the, the boat ramp where I wanted to go that morning, uh, it was flat full. You know, it leveled the bank. But like I said, I've been on rivers like I've been on the Mississippi River when it's full before. So uh, I went ahead and went into the area that I, that I was hunting, got in there, and killed a, a good deer that evening right before dark, big nine point. Uh, hit him on video and everything. I started out with him, <laughs> hacked him out. Uh, sort of got turned around walking out because my phone was about dead. And, and I had it tracked in because I was walking in probably a mile from, from the boat. And I finally made it back to the boat. Throw my stuff in the boat, had the deer boned out. And I, I pushed my boat off. And like I said, I've been in, I've been in most all the major rivers. Uh, Ohio, Missouri, Arkansas. Didn't think nothing about it. But there was a tree sticking out off the bank, probably 40 yards below me. <laughs> and I, when I pushed out, uh, I tried cranking the motor and didn't crank. Well, I, I hit that dang tree, and it got got me sideways in the current, and it had me pinned. And I couldn't move it. I couldn't move the boat one way or the other. And I was, and I'm, I might not have a little canoe. It's sort of like a canoe, but you can put a 10-horse motor on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I moved just a little bit and water started coming in like uh-oh that's not good <laughs> yeah. and i couldn't go nowhere because i was pinned in that tree with it so that water was running so fast it just hit me <laughs> and next time i moved that sucker just flipped over with me i was talking about i am a life jacket and everything on but this was like two hours after dark after the time i got back to the boat with that deer uh, i grabbed that tree that that had me hung and i climbed up on it and i was thinking man 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 I'm I'm five miles to the nearest anything I know. And like I said, I hadn't hunted this area a lot. Uh, it was down in the Delta, Mississippi. You know, and I knew back up the river, I, I seen a field. 
when I come around through there. And I thought, man, I'm going to have to walk back to that field. Because I know if they get their tractors and stuff out of that, that field, somehow nothing goes to the road. But just luckily, I pulled my phone out, and then, like I said, I was soaking wet. And and see, temperature about 34 degrees. I was just going to ask you how cold it was. That's, that's not <laughs> that front that front had just come through. But I told you that deer out. I wasn't cold at that point. And I I, I got my phone out and and I, where I went to school with a guy in college. He was a game warden buddy, and I talked to him a couple days before and said, "Hey, you gonna do an interview with me?" And I killed deer on public land. So I had his number, and when I first opened my phone up to kind con- recent calls, his popped up. Well, I called him, it rang and rang, and he didn't answer. I'm like, man, my phone was about dead. <laughs> but luckily, I got in with 911. I got, I called 911 and said, hey, man, I've not heard anything. I'm just stranded. <laughs> I done, boat done turned over. I done lost everything. And I'm I'm out in the river. I wasn't even on the bank. I was out in the river on that tree, <clears throat> hanging out there. And they, they said, stay on it just a second. Let, me, let, let us get your location. We'll come get you. So about two hours later, they finally come and got me out. Huh? Jeez. But, I, you know, I wasn't scared that I wouldn't have made it out. I just knew if I was going to have to walk out soaking wet, yeah, it was going to be a long, miserable night. It was good. Yeah, that's for <laughs> sure, man. Goodness, man. Well, I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're okay, man, because that stuff is, uh, that stuff is just scary business. You know what I mean? Whenever you're dealing with, you know, up water that's up and, you know, like I yeah, always it, say, it, like, you know, water is one of those things. And when you're out West, I'm like, it, it, to me, racing water or water that's up gives me the same feeling I get when I'm around out West is like, it makes you feel real small, real quick. Uh-huh. And, uh, it doesn't really care who you are or where you, where you come from. It's going to, it'll take you just the same. <laughs> well, and, yeah. and that happens so quick. Like yeah. I said, I've been on a lot of rivers and you know, a lot of rivers way after dark. Uh, I'll, if I had just cranked my motor before I pushed off, I don't, I, I it's, it's always cranked the first or second pull and it didn't crank that time. And, you know, it just, but that's one thing I really said about that show, you know, have a backup plan. Y'all, if you, even if you're going hunt somewhere, let some, you know, somebody needs to know where you're at. You never know what might happen. You slip and fall out of a stand or something. Yeah. Uh, so that's, you know, that's one thing I'd really say. I really think of the safety side of it now. Yeah. Uh, so, the most important thing you do whenever you go hunting is that you come home. That's right. You know, that's right. It's like, I always let the, let my wife know where I'm going to be, you know, and yeah. If I'm hunting solo somewhere, especially if I'm going back in somewhere kind of far, it's like I'll even text her when I'm there. You know, um, if it's somewhere where I don't have cell service and I know that, it's like I'll carry a, a GPS like with me that I'll use when I'm around Mount West so I can text her from that so she knows where I'm at. You know, yeah. just better be safe than sorry, I guess is, is my motto. Yeah. And see, I've, I've, I've got an app on my phone. As long as I've halfway got decent service or doing a little bit of service, you know, she knows exactly where my last location is. Right, and that's good to know. You know, you know, like you never know what might happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, man, I got one more question for you uh, before I before I let you get out of here. What uh, I always like to ask this: if you had to, if you had three tags to fill on public land, and uh, and your life depended on it, and you could and you could get any hunter you wanted to, whether they're living, you know, they've passed. Whether you know them, you don't know them, they're famous, not famous, whatever the case is, if you needed three tags filled and your life depended on it, who are those three hunters that you would uh, that you would give those tags to? Like the I'm old school now, I'm probably older than most of y'all. Now Chuck Adams was probably one of the greatest old bow hunters. Hmm. Uh, 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 he would be one. Uh, I like the Nightingale boys. You know, like I said, I like Harold David. 
Um, so I guess that's who I would I'd go after them. Nice. It's a fine list. I think you'll be safe. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're old now. They might not, but in their, their day, they think that's pretty good. Right, right. Um, well, <clears throat> well, before I let you get out of here, buddy, why don't you let uh, folks out there listening know uh, where they can find out more about you, where they can find out more about the show, and any of the social media that they can follow you guys on. That's right. Um, say it's just do it yourself, Hunter. It's a name of YouTube uh, channel. Uh, you know, check it out. You know, been doing it for years. So we got, you know, like I said, I'm older. I'm just getting into the social media stuff. But you can go to, you know, we got a Facebook group, Do It Self Hunter. You know, check it out. It's for, you know, it's for the Do It Self Hunter. It's not just us. So we got TikTok and Instagram. Daniel does a lot of that. So, so that's where you can check us out at. Awesome. And we're, and we're going and we're going to do several trade shows this time. Yeah, I don't know when you put this podcast out, but you know the NWTF. We're going to have a booth at that show. That's that's not this weekend, but next weekend. That's okay. that's a very good show to attend. Yeah, this uh, uh, this show. episode should be out before then, I think. Okay, so like I said, if if you hear that, it may be you know you got to make plans really to get motel rooms and everything in Nashville. But it's that is a very good show. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Everyone should go check out the YouTube channel. If you're headed to the NWTF, make sure you stop by the booth. Check yep. them out, man. I appreciate the content you put out. Uh, it's good, honest, authentic content. That's why I you know, reached out to you and Daniel to talk to you because you guys are, are the type of guys I like to have on the show, and I think you guys represent us the, the right way and the, and the fact yep. that you're looking to help folks kind of get out, their, yep. out of their comfort zone and, uh, and have more adventures, man. I'm just uh, super appreciative of that. Of, of that approach and just uh, appreciative of your time, man. All right. Well, thank you for having us. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast in hell. While you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. Before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Spartan Forge, Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, and Genesee Beer. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace microdosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.